Hello, and welcome to the Family Business Podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping family businesses thrive. My name is Ross Hayworth, and each week I will share insights and experiences to help you to navigate the complexities that can come from being in business with your family. You will also hear directly from family businesses who have been kind enough to share their own stories. As ever, I am grateful for the support of my good friends over at the Institute for Family Business. The IFB support family businesses in overcoming their challenges and help them build lasting legacies, something that we have a shared passion for. You can find out more about their work by heading over to ifb.org.uk. Right, let's get on with this week's show. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Family Business Podcast. I hope you're having a fantastic week. What have you been up to? What have you been doing? I hope it's been good. We are continuing our look at governance in this episode of the podcast. And more specifically, we're going to be looking at the family council. So what is it? Again, same format. What is it? Why might it be useful and how to get started? But before we get into that, and um, I really don't want to jump on the bandwagon of the whole Harry and Meghan story because that there's two people involved in that and they have their own lives and feelings and emotions that will have gone into what has obviously been a very difficult time for them and the wider family. But what it does allow us to do is to, to highlight really the importance of what we've been discussing in recent episodes. The whole purpose of governance is to help improve communication amongst family members in relation to the business, but so that painful and emotional situations can at best be avoided, but but at least be managed in a way that keeps everybody within a set of kind of guidelines and, and boundaries. So Harry and Meghan have obviously made their decision as to what they want to do with their lives. And the royal family, which is probably one of the most famous families and family businesses in the world, doesn't appear to have had the mechanisms within their own governance to help them deal with this type of situation. So it's not unusual that there are many, many other family businesses out there that don't have these governance structures in place. And so the purpose of these episodes at the moment that are focusing on governance is to help navigate those challenges. It's to help you to put the systems and processes and boundaries in place that mean if somebody in your family, and it might not be this current generation, it might not be the next generation, but the generation beyond that even may decide that actually I want to take a different path. And if there's not a mechanism or um, process to deal with that, it can lead to conflict, which the vast majority of people and the vast majority of families in business will not want to have. They, they don't want to have those conflicts. So that that's my kind of five minutes on the Harry and Meghan scenario. I do cover later on in the succession series around leaving the family business, moving on from the family business. So again, I won't cover that in a huge amount of detail now, but they're obviously using the assets and wealth of family members and, and part of the family business to allow them to follow what they want to do, which again can be discussed in things like a family charter and be discussed at family council meetings, which is what we're going to be running through today. 
But I just thought it was useful to give a bit of context around why governance is so important, given that there is this high profile news story out there. So let's get on with what a family council is, and then we'll talk a little bit more about why they might be useful for you and your family. And then as always, I'll give you some tips on how to get started with putting one in place. So what is it? In essence, it's a forum that the family can use to manage the family affairs, but relating to the family business. Perhaps an easier way of putting that is it's a communication bridge between the family and the board that is operating and running the family business. Now, it's normally made up of a cross-section of different family members. And depending on the size of your uh, family and however many generations and family branches are involved, it's generally good practice to have it made up of people from different generations, backgrounds and experiences. And it doesn't normally exceed more than sort of eight or 10 members. But again, depending on the size of the family, that can adapt to suit whatever it is that you would want it to, to do. There is a much larger forum available, which I will talk about in next week's show, which is called a family assembly or a family meeting or a family gathering. The thing with all these things with family business, they tend to have lots of different names, all preceded by the word family. So that it's a, an assembly, a meeting or a gathering of typically the, the whole of the family and the council and the assembly tend to interact quite closely with each other. So I'll explain that a little bit more in next week's show. And I think that highlights an important point, actually, that it's important to remember the governance tools that we're talking about in the um, series on governance, they operate and interact with each other. They're not standalone things. So you don't just go ahead and say, right, let's, let's have a family charter, put that in a drawer, thanks very much. You then have the forums and communication methods that allow you to make sure that what you've put in the family charter is then lived through the business and the family and the family council is one such forum the charter itself which we covered in last week's show so if you haven't listened to the episode on family charters once you finish this one pop back and have a listen to um, last week's but the family charter will help to guide and outline the role of the family council and the aim of the family council is to improve the communication between the family and the business. Now it's important to remember this is not the same as a board of directors. The board of directors are there to manage and operate the family business. However, the family council is more aligned to managing the business family, if that makes sense. So it's an advisory and consultative body, not one that makes decisions, So the role of the family council is not one that forms any legally binding structure and it doesn't have powers to vote on board matters or any other meeting of the business. And although there is communication between the board and the family council, the the family council doesn't set the strategy for the business. That, again, is a responsibility that lies with the board of directors. But the benefit of having a family council in place is that there is this communication forum, this bridge between the family and the board of directors that allows the board of directors to take on the views of the wider family. So they're not just running off roughshod and doing their own thing. They are being kept relatively in line by the fact that there's a communication forum between the family and the business. Another way of thinking of it is the family council is the ambassador of the family to the board of directors. 
In our view, family councils are normally required when you get to a size of, say, 10 family members. Now, some people would suggest this is too low. And if your family is particularly good at communicating with each other, you may want to wait until there's a far higher number of family members before you start looking at a family council. But it's better, as I've said um, along over the, the last few episodes, it's better to de- design a governance um, structure that the business can grow into rather than stick with what's there now and soon outgrow and require this to be done at a separate date. So that gives you an idea of what sort of size of family business you need to be before you start really considering um, family councils. So if you're putting a family charter in place and you're not yet of sufficient size to justify a family council in in your view, what you might want to do within that family charter is document at what stage do we want to start bringing in a family council to help the communication between family branches and the business. So that's covered what it is. What? Why would you want one? As with most things, that the primary driver for something like this is to help encourage communication. And the Family Council is a really useful communication mechanism that allows for the policies, strategies and decisions that are being made by the board to be explained and discussed within the Family Council. So as I say, the Family Council can't overrule the board But it can often be the case that policies and decisions that have been communicated and discussed and chatted through can be revised or amended following those discussions. So having the views of both sides of the family and the business and having that bridge between them in the family council means that there's not these little frustrations and niggles that are building up around decisions that the board are making because it's all being communicated in a very open fashion. In terms of the communication, it's two ways. So the family can communicate to the board via the family council, but the board can also communicate with the family through it as well. And so what the board might decide is that if there's information around the financial position or the operation of the business, that it's really impractical to communicate via the whole family and it's not the most efficient way to do it, it may be that they want to do that via a family council so that the members of the family council can then go and disseminate that information um, to the rest of the family, again, normally via a family meeting or a family um, assembly. So what that allows the family council to do is pass on those key elements of information about the direction of the business to the wider family and gather their views on whether the family feel that this is the best way for the business to be operating. And then again, reporting that back into the council meeting that the the family council will be having with the board. Um, Each member of the family council will usually be charged with gathering feedback from their family group on a whole range of issues. So what this does again is ensure that everyone in the family has a voice, is able to be heard, but in a way that is practical and efficient from a communication perspective. So as a family business grows in number and complexity, rather than having the board sit and listen to every single person within that family, if the family council are able to gather those views and bring them to a forum where the topic of discussion is the interaction between the family and the business, then it makes a lot of sense to be able to do that. And that's one of the big advantages of the um, family council. 
If the wider family want to know more about how the business is being run, they would typically communicate this via the family council. And, and again, I'll keep banging this drum over and over again. The benefit of good governance is that communication improves. And if that's the case, then it's likely to help avoid future tensions and future pitfalls that can come from poor communication. Some of the other responsibilities that can be given to the Family Council include things like organising family assemblies, gatherings, not just in terms of actually organising it and getting people there, but also um, outlining what the content of these meetings are. They would often take responsibility for things like the education programmes for Next Gen and any philanthropic activities that the family wants to pursue. And again, a lot of that is outlined and detailed in the Family Charter. So sort of summarising on that, within the family charter, the, the family would get together and have discussions about their vision, their values, the purpose of the business, what they want it to do and achieve for the family. And then a board of directors is there to run the business. The family council is that bridge between the board of directors and the family to help communicate the views of that family and to put into practice the really important stuff that's been covered in the family charter. So how would you get started on putting in place a family council? All things go back to the family charter. So typically you would outline the process for choosing members of the family council within those discussions on the, the family charter. And as I mentioned earlier, getting a good mix of ages and experience is important to ensure a good level of representation of different perspectives. So rather than have it as all senior generation and no sort of younger representation, you're only going to get one real perspective on it from a generational perspective. So having different generations, different levels of experience on there, sometimes having somebody on the council doesn't necessarily have a huge amount of business knowledge. They can ask the questions that those with um, business knowledge might not be asking. It, it's you know no such thing as a stupid question kind of time because it is going to impact that person. And so if they've got a question to ask, it, it, it's a relevant question. One thing you might want to be wary of is if you're a smaller family business, but you want to put a family council in place, it may be that you have a smaller pool of people to choose from. And given that, some of the people that you might want on the family council might hold other significant roles within the business. So for example, they could be a member of the board, um, they could be a major shareholder, or um, they might be the managing director of the business, for example. And it's important to recognize that if that's the case, having that kind of structure on a family council might create conflict because the council is there to serve a separate role to the board. So if the council's made up of 50% of the board, is it really going to be effective in communicating to uh, the board what the views of the family are? Um, so I just, just be careful of that. There, there can be some duplication. It may be inevitable that there's some duplication in terms of, of roles, depending on the size and structure of the business. But ideally, you would want that to be avoided. Uh, another thing to be wary of is if your family is made up of lots of different branches, so it's perhaps gone to the third or fourth generation, there's lots of different branches of that um, family. The temptation might be just to ensure that every branch of that family is represented on the family council. And on the face of it, this would seem really sensible. And it would tend to avoid, uh, for example, circumstances where 
you have one branch that is a significant shareholder, maybe two or three other branches that have a smaller shareholding, but the views of those people are obviously still very important. Having a representative from each branch on the family council can help to solve that issue. However, what you also need to be uh, wary of is that the branch mentality as a viewpoint is almost a little bit outdated and, and could potentially be counterproductive. Now, what I mean by this is a lot of tensions within family business can actually be traced back to this branch mentality, i.e. that member of the, the family did this, therefore all of them must be um, out to get us and, and that kind of stuff. And perhaps a more appropriate way forward is to use things like the family assembly, which we're going to discuss uh, in next week's show, and the use of a family charter to gain a whole family viewpoint. Iron out those views and those issues at an earlier stage. And then from the pool of family that you have to put somebody on the family council, you look to seek out the people who have the most ability, enthusiasm and desire to actually fulfill the role on the family council. Because it's a really important role. So just having a representative in one branch of the family on there, and they might not be the most effective or impactful person to have on that, is going to be counterproductive. If your family business is particularly large, you might have individual members of the family council also representing uh, subcommittees. So you might have a committee that is focused on education, for example. You'd have a representative from the family council that kind of heads up that subcommittee, but then you bring in other people from the family pool to help with the delivery of any education programs you might want for um, next generation. The same could be said for philanthropy. I really struggle saying that word. I wish there was an easier word for philanthropy. I get my tongue twisted on that an awful lot. Um, and it seems that it's, it's coming up more and more in these episodes. So maybe I need to try and find a different word for that. But uh, in the meantime, bear with me on my pronunciation of philanthropy. I'll, I'll work on it in uh, in my spare time. But yeah, you might have subcommittees uh, that are looking at certain things such as that social impact, another one, family employment processes and procedures might be designated to a, a committee. So there's lots of things that you can build out from the family council, again, to help deliver the things that have been agreed as being really important to the family. And that's why it's important to get the makeup of the family council right. And perhaps the most important role on that family council is the chair of the council. Now, most of the communication between the family council and the board will be done through its respective chairs. So the chair of the family council needs to be able to have good communication skills with the chair of the board. In addition, they will probably need to have quite good diplomacy skills because they're kind of caught in the middle. They're the sort of go between between the board of directors and the wider family group. And it can quite often be, we know the phrase, don't shoot the messenger, that if they are communicating certain things that perhaps don't go down well at a family meeting, they're going to bear the brunt of that uh, kickback. And likewise, if they represent a view from the family that the board don't agree with, they're going to bear the brunt of that. So they need to be a good diplomat with good communication skills. And they probably need to possess a, a bit of business acumen as well. They need to be able to understand what it is that the board is trying to do, what it's trying to achieve. 
And so that that's part of the uh, sort of skill set that you'd be looking for within the chair. And what you're really trying to do is give that person the best possible opportunity to succeed in that role. So rather than setting someone else, someone up for a fall and making it really difficult for them by putting them in a role that either they're not comfortable with or they don't possess the skills to do well, choosing the person with the best skill set is going to make the family council effective and everything obviously that comes with that being the case. Given the importance of this role, choosing your chair should be something that you take time and care over. And perhaps having a, a process by which if somebody represents or wants to represent the, the family as the chair of the family council, but doesn't necessarily possess all of the skills that you would want, that you help them to go on to training courses to fill those gaps. So that again, they have the best opportunity to succeed in that role. Good governance is not about necessarily trying to pick holes in various different elements of the business or the or the family it's to try and create a smooth communication path for everything that goes on within the family and the business so you want this to succeed you want it to be a good thing you want it to be something that is impactful um, so making sure you put people on there that are going to be able to do that is a really really good thing to do that being said Another important thing to consider with your family council is how often it is deemed suitable to replace or rotate members on that council. So it's probably not going to be a good idea to just say you've got 12 months and then off you, you know, you, you've got to bring someone else in. But also you don't want someone there necessarily for 15 or 20 years because it can become a bit stale and the viewpoints and the relationship with the board may not be as challenging as it needs to be in order to represent the views of the family so typical best practice is around two to five years you would put something in place that's suited to your family you may decide again by the family charter that re-election is possible so if somebody's done their five years as an example but they're able to be re-elected again, they can do so, but maybe only once. Or you may think, actually, no, we don't want that to be um, something that is there for more than five years. Therefore, someone else needs to come in and sit in that role after that. So the important thing is to make the family council appropriate to what you're trying to achieve as a family and as a business. And those are some of the tips that I would give in terms of putting that uh, family council together. So in summary, the family council is the bridge between the family and the board. They help to communicate the views of the board in relation to the overall strategic direction of the business to the family who will hopefully, via the means of the discussions around the family charter, will have outlined what the purpose of that business is. So the family council is kind of ensuring that both the family and the business are operating in the most efficient and coherent way with the viewpoints of, of everybody included on that. The reason they're so useful is they help create really good communication, which, as I've said, and I will continue to say because it is really, really important, communication is the key. Having good communication, the right people talking at the right time about the right things is only likely to be beneficial to the business. And the family council is kind of fundamental to that. 
if you've outlined something in um, your discussions around the family charter and you don't have a mechanism for delivering and um, providing accountability on that, then it's kind of lessened the impact that the family charter can have. So it's a really, really important function and, and communication forum. And it provides liaison between the business and the wider family group. Now, again, next week we're going to cover family assemblies in much more detail, but they would generally be meetings of everybody within the family. Some restrict to adults only, some don't. But the, the family meetings and family gatherings where all of this stuff is communicated is generally chaired by the family council. So it is a really, really important role. And the best way to get started is to include discussions about this in those discussions around a family charter. So now you understand what a family council can do when you're having those discussions about what the family council's role is and who it should be represented by, et cetera, et cetera. That can form part of the family charter going forward. And as ever, I would recommend that these type of meetings are facilitated. Now, you'd imagine I would say that because that's what I do for a job, but it, it creates this objectivity that means that nothing's missed. It means that it's less emotive decisions and much more practical in terms of who and why uh, people will sit on a family council. And it needs to be somebody who is experienced in doing uh, this kind of thing. So that gives you an overview of the family council. As I hope you appreciate, we are building throughout this series the, the overall family governance structure. It's pretty impossible to cover everything in one episode. So I couldn't have done one episode on family governance because I'll be banging on about this stuff for about two and a half hours in one go. But by breaking it down into the individual constituent parts, what I'll do at the end of this series is summarise everything we've learned and how all of this interlinks and operates as a family governance system and the overall benefit of that to the business. So I uh, hope that's been useful. And until next time, take care. I hope you found this episode useful. If you have, then why not share it with your family and see what they think? I work with families just like yours to help them to better understand the complexities that can come with being a family in business. So whether you're just starting out or heading into the umpteenth generation, if you feel that I could help, check out fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ and get in touch. Until next time, take care.